We'll get there. Yeah. All right. Welcome to the Equip Hour. Um, today is today's Baby Boomers and Millennials. Um, a lot of what I'm going to be giving you today is actually a couple things. This is, I had someone come and talk to me. I'm sitting up here, so I'm close to the whiteboard. Um, I had someone come talk to me about this title, and it's not about conflict or how to navigate it as much as it is under coming to understand differences in generations, but also giving me the opportunity to kind of share with you some of the research I'm doing for my master's thesis, which is on mentoring emerging adults. Um, and we'll kind of talk about the overlap. The big idea being that emerging adults and millennials need baby boomers to come alongside them and help them with this transition in life. Um, and this quote at the top kind of introduces why this is a hot topic. Um, here enters emerging adulthood, which is caused by, entails, and promotes an increasing delay of marriage and childbearing among American youth. This has the effect of increasing the number of years the American life, in the American life course during which young, often unmarried and childless people feel much less need to be religiously involved. And that in turn decreases the number of years, formative ones at that, during which American young people are being actively shaped by public participation in religious traditions. That's uh, by Christian Smith. Um, in the early 2000s, they, there was a study done, the National Study on Youth and Religion, led by Christian Smith, who is a um, essentially like a religious sociologist at Notre Dame. He's a believer, although who recently returned to the Catholic, went, uh, converted to Catholicism, interestingly. But they did this national study on youth and religion and wrote a book called um, Soul Searching the Religious Lives of American Teenagers, and then five years later re-interviewed those people as they entered emerging adulthood, which is 18 to 30. And now there's a book called Souls in Transition, which is the religious lives of emerging, American emerging adults. Um, Christian Smith then wrote a companion to that book called Lost in Transition, The Dark Side of Emerging Adulthood, and I'll kind of bring some of that in too. Um, we're going to actually, on the youth retreat, interact with... Um, um, hey there! Come on in. Um, we're going to interact with some of the stuff that he brought up in Soul, Soul Searching, um, in which he argues that most American teenagers and actually now emerging adults adhere not to Christianity or any of their respective faiths, but what he calls moralistic therapeutic deism. Basically, God wants you to be nice, and if you're nice, all of your life will be awesome and happy. And um, so we're actually going to bring that up on the retreat, because I'm going to have them evaluate is this how you share the gospel with your friends. Um, so we're going to talk about that. Um, this quote here I want to point your attention to, too. Um, this is not, in evangelicalism, we talk about emerging adulthood as extended adolescence. So there's kind of two ways to look at this. The cynical way is to say, like the glass half empty, is to say that these people just need to grow up. Um, but the, Jeffrey Jensen Arnett, who's one of the first people that have written about emerging adulthood, said it's not extended to adolescence because it is much different from adolescence because it's much freer from parental control, much more period of independent exploration. Nor is it really young adulthood, since that term implies that an early stage of adulthood has been reached, whereas most young people in their 20s have not made the transitions historically associated with adult status, especially mar marriage and parenthood. Many of them feel they have not yet reached adulthood. It is a new and historically unprecedented period of, li of the life force, and so it requires a new term and a new way of thinking. He calls it emerging adulthood. And so um, emerging adulthood is probably was far, probably first started being written about in like the 80s and actually didn't arise as a life stage until then and it was first observed in America and Japan and now is seen across the board in post-industrialized society. Um, and, Ameri and, and emerging adulthood, actually go ahead and flip over to page three there. I have these five Ds. Um, these five Ds are what mark 
um, an emerging adult, disruptions, distractions, delay, differentiation, diversity. So disruption, um, the Amer emerging adults undergo more transitions in the 18 to 30 route than um, any other stage. More than 50% of college graduates move home and then move out and then move back home. Um, they generally hold anywhere between three and 12 jobs between in that time period. Um, they, um, because they might move from, you know, um, a part-time job to a full-time job back to a part-time because they're going to go to grad school and then they drop out of grad school because they don't have enough money so they move home and they get saved with the money they go back to grad school. Most of them are also pursuing um, higher education. So most college graduates are now pursuing master's degrees. Um, so disruptions is happening a lot. They also ha happen to deal with a lot of distractions. So they have more technology at their fingertips and then our cult the culture kind of encourages drinking, premarital sex, all those kinds of things. And so they're more distracted which leads to that idea of delay. So um, emerging adults are marrying um, even later. And actually, there was a study done in 19... I'm going to pull this out, actually. I have a notebook I have in class. But I think there was a study done in the 70s that said... Um, that was basically asking the question, um, what is it to be an adult? Um, so in 19, yeah, 1970, they did... Um, they did a study and they asked what are the marks of adulthood and the three things were marriage, parenting, and a career. So I'm an adult when I am married, I have children, and I have like my career going. They did the study again in 2006 um, and the um, three markers of adulthood were accepting responsibility for myself, deciding on beliefs, on my own beliefs for myself, um, and financial independence. If you're interested, marriage was number 31 on that list, and kids were number 35, and using alcohol responsibly and using contraceptives responsibly came before marriage and children. And so, um, the re and so that delay piece comes in, and that's why that quote was at the beginning, because ch childbearing and marriage are most often the things that bring people back into the church. Um, when they're not having kids, that means, hi, Kim, come on in. When they're not having kids, that means that they're not coming to the church for longer periods. They're all right here. Um, differentiation is that challenge of separating from parents, um, which is key to this developmental stage. Um, and this is kind of, so part of differentiation is often trying to discover their beliefs on their own. But also the challenge of this time period is the helicopter parent, which is common among emerging adults. 40% um, of emerging adults who go to job interviews have a parent with them. And that is not the emerging adult's choice, that's the parent's choice. Um, all, the, all The vast majority of those kids who move back home move back home at the invitation and encouragement of their parents, not of their own decision. Um, so their parents will say, why don't you move home, save money for a year, da-da-da-da-da. Um, that's what parents want. Um, and then the last one is diversity. So because millennials are the children of postmodernism, they really are kind of open to, like, no, there is no one way. Um, morality is kind of whatever it is. And so these are kind of the five factors that are, uh, hi, Robin, that are the elements of emerging adults. Um, and the reason, and this overlaps with millennials in that emerging adults are 18 to 30, and that means all millennials uh, born 1980 to 2000 um, are most, for the most part, emerging adults. Um, and that's really the difference between a, a, a baby boomer, and this is actually 
on, page, on the bottom half of page two, a millennials, a millennial is a person born between 1980 and 2000, and a boomer is born between 46 and 64. Now that, the people born between 64 and 79 are Xers. Um, who generally, a lot of sociologists, frankly, kind of skip over that because the first half of Xers act like boomers and the back half of Xers act like millennials for the most part. Uh, that's why they're the X, because it's like, what are they? We don't know. Um, and so um, so that's kind of what we're talking about, and um, we're going to just kind of maybe explore some differences. So flip, over, flip back to page two there. Um, I have this chart here, and basically what we're going to be doing is we're going to be examining a lot of charts that kind of like express differences between baby boomers and millennials and what that looks like. Um, this first chart here shows um, kind of like millennial ideas of leadership and boomer ideals of leadership. And I kind of just want to talk about what resonates with each of us most and why and just kind of come up with that. So if you look at the left hand, that's the baby boomers. Their model of leadership is the heroic visionary. They have it all together. They know what's going on. Whereas the model of the um, millennial is much more the wounded healer, which is actually the title of the book by Henry Nallen, who we've talked about before in this class. Um, and that's much more like the authentic, like loving, like lead with a limp, you know, is kind of a book that a lot of millennials like. Um, baby boomers are individual leaders. They kind of just strike out and they do their thing, whereas millennials are much more team-based. Baby boomers have positional authority. I am the pastor, therefore I'm in charge. Whereas a millennial will say it doesn't matter if I'm the pastor if I don't earn the respect of the people I'm around. Or if a millennial say I can't do that because I'm not in a relationship with them. Um, baby boomers are supervisory versus millennials are mentoring and empowering. This sort of kind of thing. So as you look at that list, I mean, is there anything that's striking to you? Um, what what maybe what qualities resonate with you more? Why? I think it's interesting as a millennial that I only. Uh, resonate with half of the ones that are under the millennial side right. and half the ones under baby boomers side. Right. What else? Well, I'm in the same boat as Joel and I'm, I'm, I'm an ex. Right. Half the top two, I'm on the boomer side. The bottom two, I'm on the millennial side. Exactly. Right. Have you ever experienced something like this in any kind of like leadership or team setting? Mm-hmm. What was that like? Maybe share a story. Um, well, I can. So, at where I work, it's very. There's a lot of millennials. Mm-hmm. It's very young, and um, the leadership. I hesitate to call it, to use the word leadership, but the people who are in positions of leadership or should be have taken a much more millennial style because that's who they're managing in most parts or leading in most parts. And so everything is team-based Yeah. to the point of it being unhealthy. <laughs> like no one will make a decision. It's like team, 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 collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. And it's, it goes forever. So it's just, it's an extreme version of team leadership mm-hmm. without anybody taking authority. Well, at some point somebody needs to make a decision. Right. Yeah, I think one of the things you'll see on the on the chart in a little bit is that baby boomers mm-hmm. emphasize efficiency, whereas millennials don't. Um, baby boomers would rather like let's just do this and get it over with, and millennials are like let's take some time, let's talk about it, let's go out to coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, so are we are we making any judgment like 
one is better than the other? Or Do you what? think one is better than the other? Well, I, I mean, I love the mentoring and empowering on the yeah. bottom because, I mean, there's the old adage, you need to work yourself out of a job and you right. always need to be bringing up leaders right, right, on, right. You know, to take over for you. So I think that's fantastic. Um, the personal authority and earned authority, I think both are good. I mean, because like you said, sometimes you get to a point where you talk and talk and talk and talk and talk mm -hmm. about things and no one ever makes a decision. And for me, that is so frustrating. Yeah. Because I'm very much... Pro I, I want to get stuff done. Yeah, I want an end to the process. Yeah. Right. Now, doing it with other people, and that's great, and the relationship building along right. the way is great, and the mentoring and empowering is kind of, you know, the talking about it, making a team decision, and that's all fabulous, but somebody's got to be in charge, mm -hmm. you know? Well, and some of, of that's day. personality, I think, too, because mm -hmm. I worked for two, I had an immediate supervisor and then, like, the dean of students, and... Um, it was really interesting because my immediate supervisor just wanted to talk about everything and have collaboration to the point that no one would make the decision. Mm -hmm. Whereas the dean would say that he'd want collaboration, but he would come in and say, this is what we're going to do now. Let's talk no. about what do you think about it. We're still going to do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, okay, well, we're, the decision has been made. So I think some of it's personality, but, like, he definitely, like, he desired collaboration, but ultimately, like, he was just going to say what was going to happen, and that's what we were going to do. And so you appreciated being heard, but you also knew, like, well... So he's very, like, baby boomer in his... Yeah. Yeah. What other thoughts do you have? When they see them... <coughs> when you say a wounded healer... Yeah. Is that kind of like a sense of entitlement? Like, oh, I've been wounded. What do you mean by that? Um, I think at its... I'm going to come down here. This is right on the board. Um, I think at its worst, wounded healer is an entitlement of, um, I'm just not good. Like I've been hurt and you just all have to deal with that. And therefore I have permission to do whatever I want because I've been hurt at its, that's like it's worse mm -hmm. in the same way that the heroic visionary at its worst is I am the one with the ideas. We follow what I say and nobody else gets to say anything at its best. The heroic visionary is um, this is my idea. I'm going to bring you all along. We're all going to agree and we're all going to be really excited. Um, and the same way that the wounded healer at its best is, I've, I recognize this, but I'm going to be very compassionate and like um, and exercise a lot of care for people. Um, I think the biggest difference with, like a wounded healer is much more like a priest type of a leader as opposed to like a hero visionary is much more kingly. Like if we could make that distinction, like make the decision versus like, Hey, it's okay. Well, and some of it's authenticity too. That's true too. I think millennials value authenticity, which that at its worst is everyone writing all of their feelings on Facebook and in their blog and appropriately. And best is saying like, this is who I am. I am not a perfect person, but I want to lead well. Like, can we all do this together? So I think, like, in my home, my father's very much a baby boomer, and because he was born in 45, like, we're just going to do this, and, like, I have it together, and we're all, like, and he can kind of own that to me as too, but whereas, like, I think a wounded healer is um, more acknowledged, like, everyone is broken, we're all sinful, and so the difference maybe is, like, how that's presented, and there's not a lot of room, I would say, with the baby boomer for necessarily always acknowledging that publicly. They would say mm -hmm. that might hurt their leadership if mm -hmm. it's known you know, not that they're trying to be unauthentic. I think that's just how it is. Yeah, what they've seen and how they're trying to lead well. Yeah, trying to sort things out. You know, what's biblical and what's right. not. Just like uh, it, it can actually be shown that um, being conservative is actually more biblical than being liberal. Right. But um, 
the positional authority in particular um, comes to me as being more biblical. Uh, there's a lot of positional things in Scripture, right? And uh, you know, it'd be nice to earn someone's respect, but you know, we're commanded to respect right. and love, right? Know? So, um, so that's kind of where I'm, you know, trying to figure things out here. No, and I think that when, when we get to the next chart, I'm also going to ask, like, is there one that like is more biblical? Mm-hmm. And and I think when you talk about positional versus earned authority, I think like a lot of the authority like Paul is exercising in like the letters of the Corinthians is like. Well, I'm an apostle. You kind of just need to yeah. deal with it. But also, by the way, I notice that my character is impeccable, mm-hmm. right? And therefore, like, I also earn it that way. Right. right. Um, and sometimes I think the Bible is saying, like, yeah, positional, but you still kind of have, you can't, like, do what you want because you have the position. There's a character piece that kind of reigns that in. I think there's more accountability if you're in a positional authority. Right. I mean, there's higher standards right. and greater right. expectation. So on that, let's go ahead and flip over to... Um, <laughs> Actually, we're going to jump to page four, and there's this longer chart here where these are just general characteristics. Um, so you'll see, like, the third one down, baby boomers value excellence, whereas millennials value authenticity. Um, so why don't you take a second and just kind of read through that. And as you do, maybe do me a favor and just circle one or two that really think that strike you. Um yeah, so circle quality is particularly striking to you, and then identify at least one weakness and one strength from each list, not one weakness and one weakness. One weakness and one strength from each list. So each list, strength and weakness, each, you know. Were there any traits that, like, on either list that were particularly striking to you? Can you explain one first? Yeah, please. What do you mean by tradition under millennials? Millennials, more than any other, if you want to know, there's a giant influx in evangelicalism into Eastern Orthodoxy, Anglicanism, Episcopalianism, and actually a good portion of Wheaton College graduate, undergrad and graduates actually become Catholic. And that is because the liturgy and the church tradition. Oddly, if you you think about it in terms of worship wars, this is not going to help you. Because in worship wars, what we think is that millennials are the ones pushing that we shouldn't sing hymns. And it's the baby boomers that want to sing hymns. It's the millennials that want to play drums really loud. But increasingly, um, millennials are the ones that are saying, actually, I like hymns. I want to find, and are actually uncomfortable with how evangelical, and I'm one of these if you're interested. I'm one of the people that is concerned about how evangelicalism is detached from any kind of like tradition. Um, 
Because and you would just think. You would think. And that's, I think that's striking that baby boomers are listed as novelty and progress. Yeah. Whereas their tradition, but in my, at least in my experience and say in Wheaton and environments like that, um, and even at Moody, and even at Moody, there's this push more towards, well, what, where, where are we coming from? And a desire to kind of be attached to something. And I think going to be some, with something bigger than themselves. themselves. They're very, yeah, enamored with, yeah. Any other ones that struck you? I'm glad you brought that up. I think uh, social service and social justice yeah. is interesting. I think what we're experiencing right now in the culture is social justice. And uh, <clears throat> I think uh, social service uh, would be good, especially if it was the individual and the family and not right. the government that was handing right. that out. And so... Um, and I think also uh, more textual, you know, we are a republic of, of laws and so forth. Right. And more visual, you know, is it the appearance of things. Right. You know, which is, you know, not, not you can't trust that. So right. Just a couple of things there. No, that's good. I actually put a, I, I put an S next to more textual because I think that's probably the strength of the baby boomers, mm-hmm. at least one of them on there. I think that kind of going off what you're saying, I think the social justice... I think the good side of it, because there is, you know, always a good and a bad side, but I think the good side is I think there's a movement within Christianity to take back some of the things that we've given to the government. And so as, like, even, like, sex trafficking, there's a lot of ministries reaching into that and trying to step into that in health care, which I think needs to be reclaimed by Mm -hmm. the church. I mean, that's something they did traditionally was education and health care all around the world, and we've given that up and given that over to other people. And so I think that's the encouraging part to me is seeing students really, when I was at Moody, really desiring to pursue those things and to take them back, like, in the name of, like, Jesus, which is what... And Robin just spent last weekend at the Justice Conference. I did, and I was going to say that. um, And I've gone for two years in a row, and the subject matter, quite honestly, is very depressing. It could be very very heavy, very (laughs) depressing. There's no way around that. But what I loved about it was, especially this last weekend, there were... 4,000, 5,000 young, you know, 20 and 30 year olds really, really on fire to see what God wants them to do with this issue and how he wants them to do something to change it and eradicate it or turn it around mm-hmm. or claim it back. And it was a Christian conference, so it was it was fabulous. And I met your friend Luke Schlungen, whatever. Shooch. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I was supposed to say hello. Hey. He was there too. You can just share that. You can take that chair or that chair, whatever works. <laughs> And they're saying that's in the middle. Well, you so know, I, I saw that as a strength. Well, and you know what's interesting is if you look at the speakers of that conference, there's, there's this thing about seek personal wisdom. Um, a lot of the speakers there are old. So like last year, Walter Brue- I don't know if he was there again this year, but Walter Brueggemann spoke, who's an Old Testament scholar that's ancient, and but has always been very concerned about justice. And what you're finding is these older generations that have been kind of like a voice in the wilderness amongst their own generation are finding like this audience of millennials that are like, yes, this is what we want. And I think that's what's always refreshing to me about, say, that conference, is a lot of the speakers are over 40. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I guess, kind of going along with this, like, I put comfort as a weakness on baby boomers, because I think I've observed it's really hard for people to step into those hard things. Like, it's, it's hard for me to step into those hard things. And I think when we, like, idolize comfort... And we can because we live very comfortable lives. Like, it's easy to be, I really have to force myself out of that. Um, and I think that that's part of the problem, like, that's the strength of, of challenge maybe with millennials and the social justice is that there's a lot more willingness to step into those hard things instead of disengage from them and kind of say, like, that's not really my area of concern. And that's right. something I've really observed with 
sometimes older generations, it's like, that's not my problem. Yeah. What do you think of the, there's, I, I think there's an interesting striking one of certainty and clarity versus mystery. Yeah, can you define mystery and what you were talking about there? Um, again, I would say, um, <clears throat> there's a, did well, you I was just going to say, I think um, millennials uh, like the whole thing's intention yeah. more. Yes. Mm-hmm. I would say that's true. Millennials are very much the people of like, mm-hmm. let's just have balance between these two extremes yeah. or hold these th- hold these things in tension. Or, um, whereas um, a boomer is always going to try to like pick one or the other. Absolutely. There is a right and a wrong. There it's is like a black and white versus gray. Yeah. At its worst, it becomes, that's what leads to kind of um, like a postmodern, but we just don't know. Um, at its best is you get, can, can get a millennial that can like look a very complex problem and, and like kind of be okay with leaving some issues unanswered mm-hmm. um, and kind of just like work those angles and kind of just be in it. Um, I think but with spirituality though. Especially with spirituality that comes in. Um, millennials are very interested in mysticism and like those kind of, and like those kind of things. Piety and things like that versus... Um, you know, yeah. like if you ask a, ask a millennial who like one of their favorite authors are, and they're going to say somebody like Donald Miller or something like that, who are like very kind of open and mysterious, but ask like a boomer, they're going to say like John MacArthur or like Andy Stanley, who's like, here's the point and here's the three outlines. And like, mm-hmm. uh, there's also clarity, you know where they stand. And so you're not ever venturing into like, I might not agree with everything. I know I agree with him because I know exactly what he thinks. Thanks. I was going to say the autonomy issue for boomers is troubling because I think they rob themselves of they become like islands instead of doing a life in a in a group or in yeah. community and miss out on the blessing of seeing a need and helping someone with it or um, you feel like you have to handle everything on your own you know instead yeah. of receiving a help or grace so. yeah on the other hand, uh, they're willing to stand for what they believe. You know, right? Noah, who stood against the world. Right. You know? Yeah. Like I can, like I don't need my community to like yeah. mm-hmm. appreciate my beliefs. I'm just going to have it. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. I think community is messy. Like to me, the community and the comfort kind of are either at the top and the bottom, but they're juxtaposed a little bit because when you live and work with people. Um, that it's just hard and messy and complicated and even with family it can be messy and complicated and so I think the challenge of that can be good but hard. What do you think of unity with uniform unity through uniformity or un- versus unity within diversity? I specifically wrote the unity through uniformity as a weakness. I see that um, mm-hmm. as limiting um, uh, progress. Mm-hmm. If you're expecting everyone to be exactly the same, then nothing will ever be created new. I thought of with diversity, you're you're embracing cultures, different cultures, and what they can offer. Whereas, if you think that every culture has to be just like yours, that could limit, you know, for mm-hmm. other platforms. I think this comes out a lot in um, conflict, um, where, especially like on a, on church levels, on team levels, it's unity for us is going to be us all agreeing and being uniform and if you can't fall into line with this then you're being disunited you're, you're not being unified with like the church with this doctrine with this thing and, and this is where that mystery and the unity and diversity kind of go hand in hand because in a boomer model we can all say well like there's a lot of differences in this room but I can embrace that and it's going to be okay mm-hmm. and, boomer or millennials? and millennials millennials can kind of embrace those differences and 
I, I put it as a weakness because I think I was thinking of it from the others. Like, I agree with all those things. I also see the, it can go, this, the, the weaknesses that can go to this extreme of nothing, none of us stand for anything. <laughs> We're all just kind of free-floating, like, right. I don't know what I think or where, you know, where I belong or right. whatever. So I think it can, I think either extreme is dangerous. And the other extreme could be, well, if it's okay for you, then it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah, right. right. There's no ultimate. <laughs> right. Which is ultimately yeah. what emerging adults and millennials will say. Um, yeah, I had a really interesting... That's really relativism. Oh, it is, yeah. It is. Yeah, I had a really interesting conversation with a girl I worked with this summer, and she said, um, I, like, I'm okay with everybody believing what they want to believe, and, like, I kind of believe in God, but, you know, like, I, you know, and I'm like, you can't, <laughs> you know, I'm just kind of thinking, like, you can't think that. Like, somebody, yeah, like, if they really believe this and we really believe this, someone is wrong. Like, we can't all. <laughs> and, and then notice this, this, go ahead. You were well, it's the law of non-contradiction. You right. You have two things that, that are with each other. Right, and I think what's interesting is within that, though, is... A, a millennial that comes to faith after being free-floating quest for tradition. So being, an- they need more, they feel even a greater need to be anchored. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they don't, they can't be anchored. Like, and again, that's why like non-denominationalism is a real like apathetic love amongst a lot of um, millennials because in their mind, well, what is that? Where, you know, like a millennial would look at the village church and say, well, it started in the seventies. Now what? Like what, and then, and you know, like, well, what is that anchored to, and why, and how, and and so, um, so as you look at this list, is there a list that is more biblical than the other? And you can say yes, no, agree. I mean, like, you're shaking your head. I, mean, I, I think there are um, parts of each that, uh, that, right, depending on the subject, that right. are biblical, right. And like, I think what we were just discussing is each one of these could be a weakness or a strength. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. take into one extreme or another. Right. Both lists. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that you can have a blanket statement. No, that's good. That. Do you think... Is there a possibility, though, that people think that one, that, like, this is the biblical list? Like, that they... Could you go into the Bible and, like, go through all of these and say, up, oh, all of these are in the Bible? Given the right, all of them are. I think on both sides. Yeah. yeah. Given the right lens, you could put any of these right. new biblical models. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, th- I mean, to me, it seems like culture swings all the time, and so like baby boomers swing one way, and the millennials are swinging back another way, and so right. we're always in a quest to like balance. So it's always very reactionary. Yeah. And so in the middle, like there's probably right. a scriptural like principle right. that includes both, but you can't. I think we're all prone to what we are, probably a little right. bit. Like I kind of lean more toward millennial and say, "Well, that feels better to me." Like, <laughs> yeah. If I'm going to err, I'd rather err on the side right. of like being like loving and authentic than like more intense. But, right. You know. You need both. What is something that boomers could learn from millennials? What are like one or two of these things on the right that you wish we could push over to the left? I think um, challenge. I, I think challenge is important. Mm-hmm. I think we're. It's nice to have find our comfort level, but I think challenge is even better. Right. And the, the community and the connected community need to be a little outward, more outward, mm-hmm. with our views and caring and 
we're very much internal and looking out for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We need to be more outwardly focused. What are some things that we could, that we wish we could push from the left over into the right? I think seeking expert advice. Like I think there is folly in only having the same age level speaking into something. Right. Mm-hmm. Or people of sit with no, with ignorance. Right. <laughs> hey, Ryan. I think uh, excellence could move over to the right. Which I didn't. Sorry, what did you? Say? Uh, excellence. Oh. Yeah, I would. I. I would second that, and I would even say excellence was a little bit of performance. Like the males can benefit from more discrimination. The ability to discriminate when something is working well, strong leadership, clarity, those right. kinds of things. Front page four, brief. Um. Just a note on the performance participation. Again, the, the millennial move to liturgical traditions, if you think about it, is I don't have to sit and just watch a performance. But when there's a, litur- when there's a liturgy involved, I'm participating in the whole thing. So, like, there's, and there, there's a logical move in that direction, right or wrong, um, and there, but, like, given these things... So you're saying like discernment, though. Discernment, yeah. yeah. And I was actually not taking it from a worship point, but just from a... I just wanted to make that connection, yeah. that's all. No, I... You're saying like we're going to work, like step up and do what needs to be done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. But not even that. It's just the ability to... I think one of the threads through the millennialist is the, the whole like um, the process, the holistic and experiential, the personal kind of authenticity is at its extreme can lack discrimination of what's true and what's real and what's good and what's right. strong. Right. And boomers are maybe a swing too far the other way. Mm-hmm. Like, I am what's true and what's real mm-hmm. and what's good and what's strong. But, yeah, I think there needs to be a, a balance there. I, I mean, if I could move one thing from the left to the right, it would probably be the textual. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, as Christians, we're people of a book, and, like, that's right. all we'll ever be. Um, and the more we abandon that, the more the less ground that we have to stand on. And I think the interesting thing is, as much as there's a quest for tradition, there's also an, a resistance then to a text. Um, and I think, even as I teach, like the students and things like that, like I think they they struggle with like kind of being in the text and kind of being guided by a text and engaging with the text. Like you talk to a lot of people, they don't like to read, um, and that's that's losing something. Um, is Village Church more hospitable to one group over another? And what makes you think so? I think we do a really good job of making sure we include everyone. Mm -hmm. Because we do have a pretty diverse um, group of people in this church. I think uh, Village Church is becoming younger, it seems mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. The irony is that most churches don't generally, uh, we say this a lot, unlike if you, like most churches don't have a lot of millennials on their leadership team, but if you actually look at our church, the whole, Michael is just barely outside of millennial. No, he was born in 18, he was 18. Oh, he was 80, that's right, yeah, sorry, you guys like, are the same. Um, yeah, I for some reason was thinking this is 2010, but, but that's siblings. not helpful. But like, he has older kind of, siblings, yeah. <laughs> which is what drags him that way. Yeah. Um, but like um, most churches, actually, that's ne- that's very rarely the case. 
Any other thoughts? I know when I when we first joined, that's something that I had to wrestle with in my head a little bit because on the one hand, I really liked the fact that there were so many younger people who were included in leading ministries and kind of the, the if not the face of the church, maybe the future of the church and that those, they were being groomed for leadership positions in the church. I liked that a lot. At the same time, I come from a church environment where that is not the case. And so it's like the wisdom of the elders on display at all times. Figure, uh, literally speaking and figuratively speaking. Mm-hmm. And so I had to wrestle with that and whether that was a lack of, um, not really so much a lack of hospi- hospitality or hospitable, whatever that word is, when it's an adjective form. Um, but if it was more indicative of like, if it was more of a, discrimination is also too far of a word, but there mm-hmm. was a lack of inclusion on the other side of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I've, the longer I'm here, I find that not to be true. But it was my impression at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So let's flip over just real quick, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about um, this. This quote is from Christian Smith's book, "The Dark Side of Lost in Transition," which is the he calls the dark side of emerging adulthood. Um, he says whether emerging adults recognize it or not, they definitely need models, mentors, and a con- and conversation partners with older, more experienced adults who care for and about them, adults other than their parents. The less emerging adults are isolated from older, more mature adults by being integrated into social worlds other than those created and populated by emerging adults, the better it is for those emerging adults. And one of the points Smith makes is emerging adults are friends with emerging adults, they live with emerging adults, they date emerging adults, they work with emerging adults, they go to school with emerging adults, um, and, and are generally isolated from older generations. And so, what does, can somebody t- tell me the time? Because if so, I'm going to wing something here. Quarter to uh, ten. Quarter to ten. Oh, Lord. That's what you're doing well. All right. Okay. So what I would so and part of like the challenge. Straight up, we just did this in a class I was in on Friday, and so I thought I'd bring it in because I thought it was really helpful. Is there's generally structural challenges to mentoring. Like there's things that stop mentoring from happening. And I and I think like the reason I love actually teaching this class is Dave and Julian Burke who aren't here, but all of the rest of you are gen- are. And for those of you who can't see this, about a little over half the table are not millennials. Um, and so y'all are in the position to mentor emerging adults, and that's really what they need. Because if you flip back to that, those five Ds that um, they are dealing with, like in the, in the endless transitions of emerging adulthood, emerging adults need a stabilizing influence to kind of help them through those transitions. Um, they need, an, they need a, an older adult to help them through uh, a discernment process of um, all of those uh, distractions. Actually, there's a wonderful book, and I think I put it on here. Um, it's called um, Shaping the Journey of Emerging Adults, Life-Giving Rhythms for Spiritual Transformation. Richard Dunn wrote a book called um, Shaping the Spiritual Lives of Students that, like, if you want to know what Kyle believes about youth ministry, just go read that book. Um, and so in this book, they talk a lot about the, necess- the need to teach uh, emerging adults discernment because they don't know how to like make decisions. Um, in that delay, they need like an older adult like to have them in their home to let them know that marriage isn't scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when a lot of emerging adults' parents, by the way, are also encouraging them to just move in together. Mm-hmm. Cohabitation is huge among this age group. And then differentiation is that challenge of kind of separating from parents. That's kind of the necessary thing that happens in the 20s. And... Sometimes they need an older emerging adult to kind of help them, like, swing that. So as we think about, like, mentoring, mentoring needs to happen. 
but I think there's a few like barriers to mentoring that happen. So what are some, I'm gonna like maybe identify like, well, we'll start with two and see if we get three, but there's, there's mentoring, there's like um, barriers of the self, which means like I want like, what are the barriers but like emerging adults, I mean, not emerging, what are the barriers adults have towards mentoring people? So like Robin, what is the what is a barrier that Robin or other boomers feel about mentoring emerging adults? And then what are structural barriers in the church to make not maybe even either the church or the church generally that stop people from mentoring? Is that making sense? What I'm trying to get at? I want us to maybe identify some. So you're not barriers. talking about emerging adults right now. You're talking no, about adults. No, I'm talking about right. boomers. Right. So boomers here. Okay. The mentor. Like, yeah. So how do they feel about barriers? Yeah. Barriers that boomers feel about mentoring, and then barriers that exist in the church generally. Can you say something about um, what you mean by mentoring? You know what? Sure. What the process. What the end goal of that is? Um, uh, mentoring. <laughs> um, we could do a whole hot topics on this because I can just throw you all the definitions I found. I would say mentoring is a. Um, is a process by which, like maybe one, like in a one-on-one or like some kind of conversation like that, where a person is kind of being helped towards further maturity by an older person. So, but it talks to like models and like and they, conversation partners, so living life and helping them learn to live life well. The goal being that that person becomes more like Jesus. Um, in, in in a book by one of my favorite books on mentoring, which is impossible to read, is um, maybe I put it on here. Actually, it is um, this spiritual mentoring: a guide for seeking and giving direction. Really hard to read, which is a shame because he says many important things. But his their idea is that the goal of mentoring. Actually, I forgot to tell you one of those guys is from South Dakota. Um, <laughs> People. One of them, um, they, they say that the goal of mentoring is helping an individual discover their own <coughs> unique voice for kingdom responsibility. So it's helping that person like understand like their giftedness and their personality and their story. And, and they say that mentoring turns mere auto, mere um, chronology into um, spiritual autobiography. And it's how we um, hi Ben. It's how we. Um, help a person see all of their lives in the view of like what God's doing ultimately so that they become more like Christ and have a sense of like go ahead there how to interact with my brain is very tired yeah discover your own voice for kingdom responsibility so what might what are some barriers that exist in let's let's call this boomers that might be helpful like I said I'm making this up um that might stop that from mentoring. So one I hear all the time is, um, I don't know how to articulate it, but somehow like I'm not cool enough for that. Right, or, like, I'm, sure. Irrelevancy. Yeah. Robin, you had your hand. Did you ask a question? Or? No, I was going to answer. Um, no, I forgot. No. <laughs> uh, I just wouldn't know what to do. Uh, yeah, I don't, don't know how to go about okay. it. Time, uh, time needed with my own family. Right. Like I have my own stuff to do. Right. Here's one thing that I know about time is, um, like, because the two hours this week articulate go. Um, the younger generation, these emerging adults, are still living at home and still like making people's kitchens messy and still like 
using their money that, right. the, in my opinion, the boomers that should have a lot more time to be putting into the church and into other people right. are still being moms, moms and dads right. and having to nurture these like 20-something old adults. So the time constraint is well, different than yeah. it would have been. But also if your child isn't at home, you could maybe mentor someone else's child, but because right. you're still yeah, parenting your child, exactly. you can't. Exactly. At a season when you normally would have been able exactly. to, you can't. The season is different than I think what they expected it to be and what probably... Yeah. What else? <clears throat> I'm just doing a Bible or something. Can right? I give you one that's not from a boomer perspective? Okay. So, I know for me, I sometimes feel inadequate sometimes to mentor because I was never, I'm like sandwiched in the middle of an ex, so I was never mentored, and now I'm at the age where I can and I like to mentor others, but I'm not mentored myself, and so there's just this kind of feeling of, am I really, do I really know what I'm doing? Right. I think, I mean, I think kind of what Angie was saying, but I think a lack of role models. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, regardless of what your age is, I just don't think. I don't know, I've talked to a lot of boomers, and they've been like, well, I don't know if I really had a role model. And some have been like, well, one time this lady did do this for me or did do this for me, but it was not like a. Right. Um, it was not a set thing in their life either. So, yeah, they don't really have a pattern to follow. Uh, there was a study done, and I can't believe the title of it, but it was listed in a class, and. Um, People over 40 don't want to be a mentor because they say that I'm not old enough to be a mentor, slash, it makes me old to be a mentor. <laughs> so that's why there's a sometimes a, like, which almost is like a vain resistance. Like, I think like a cultural um, uh, negativity towards age and wisdom, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a yeah. value thing that's the good, way yeah. it should be, so therefore you don't want to be part of it because yeah. it's not valued. I think a lot of times boomers look at at certain and they don't yeah they don't know what they have to offer them so it's kind of redundant a little bit but it's like well I don't know right why I would have to offer them so they're good they'll figure it out I figured it out so they'll figure it out offer <coughs> yeah I think comfort is a barrier because it's messy and on it's not easy to enter into someone's life sometimes. Well, even, like, that question of, like, well, what is it? What's the goal? And, like, every mentoring relation really takes relationship. Hi, Elias, looking right at me. Um, just <laughs> takes on its own shape. And so um, if you're interested, my, my, my master's project is essentially <clears throat> writing a book that identifies, here's, like, six key essentials to every mentoring relationship. Um, and in that case, how to apply it to the lives of millennials and emerging adults. So, like, every mentoring relationship has, as a part of it, what I'm calling intentionally guiding. So, and that looks like these three things. And, like, it's not a, here's one, two, if you do one, two, three, four, five, six, like, you'll come to the end. It's like, you might go one, two, three, two, four, five, seven. You know, like, you might kind of jump around. And I think there is this, um, there's there's a lack of process. Um... Like a path to follow, you mean? Yeah, like or lack of path. Or guidelines, maybe. Um, that makes it challenging because, and part of that book is the idea is like anytime you ask someone to mentor, often what happens is like um, you sit down and it's like, okay, now what? You know what I mean? And that book, the, the idea behind my project is then you have this thing that you read together for the first six weeks and at the end of every chapter are mentor, ask these questions, mentee, ask these questions. 
so that like you kind of get kickstarted because a lot of times you start a mentoring relationship and it's like, hi, you know. So, is there a difference between mentoring and, and discipling? Well, and that's it's funny that you say that because it depends on the book you read. Mm-hmm. Um, some people will create this scale and it's like, here's discipleship and, and that's my, this is kind of arbitrary. And here's mentoring and here's spiritual direction and here's, um, you know, like all of these kind of different things. Like, I think in the end, it seems like discipleship's goal is to help help people love God by living out the teachings of Jesus and to love others with no strings attached. And I would hope that in mentoring, I'm also trying to help person love God by living out the teachings of Jesus and love others with no strings attached. And so, like, in my mind... As believers. As believers, right? Like, mentoring in, like, a non-Christian setting kind of does take on some different forms. But, like, in theory, everything we do is discipleship in the church. I hope. I hope, like, worship is discipleship. I hope service is discipleship. Like, all of those things are going towards me being conformed to him. Um... Because good, good mentoring or discipleship is going to be helping that person be more like Christ, not necessarily more like, not more like you. Like right. You're not trying to create a little you. You're trying to create... Well, I would say that's probably a boomer challenge is um, they, the boomers tend to want to create little yous. Um, Valuing uniformity. Thing. Yeah, and, and because they, mm-hmm. they create that uniformity, so they're trying... like So instead of... That's why like Anderson and Reese had that, that. Helping them discover their own unique voice for kingdom responsibility... Um, so it's not here. Take on my voice and sing my part. It's sing your part. Which then that also freaks out boomers because that sounds a little too like postmodern individual. But like one of the strengths finders, and I think I've talked about it in here, is individualization. So how do we let that person be that person while still helping them kind of conform to this general kind of arc? Um, let's talk about some barriers that exist in the church um, to mentoring. So either village church or generally. And some of these things are going to apply. So, like, the irrelevancy and inadequacy is going to apply. Probably this, like, lack of a guideline is going to apply. The time thing is going to come into it. Um, so all of these things are kind of present, but maybe what specific things happen in the church? Um, not necessarily at Village Church, but maybe at other churches, it's just hard to connect in general, let alone find someone to mentor you. Yeah. Like, how do you know that they're someone you want to be mentored by, or how do right. you meet them? Until you, or, like, watch them, or, like, yeah. the issue, the issue yeah. of initiative yeah. yeah. I feel that people don't want to say, well, you need to learn from me. So, right. And the younger people don't want to ask for that. Right. That's a huge thing right there. And I really do wish that. Don't want to ask. Both teams would do the job. Actually, I found that issue for me um, not necessarily hard to connect, but for me specifically, I've failed on finding a mentor twice. Yeah. Asked a couple people and. Uh, hasn't worked out for either one. Yeah, I know that that's a common thing of like think, people having time or being like, oh, I wish I could. But. Right, and that's kind of connected over to time, right? But I think there's also like a lack of culture, like in the sense that we know it's important, but there's not a cultural sense of this is how we go about it. And when we've tried to create a cultural sense of this is how we go about it, there's been resistance. Right. Like, oh, totally. And I think a lot of it obviously comes for some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I think especially with, like, I feel like even at Moody, I hear a lot of guys, like, men talking about that. Like, it's really hard for men to find other mentors, and I think women relationally 
generally speaking, not always, are maybe a little more, we do that a little more intuitively, like share recipes or, you know, like, yeah, it's kind of like, hey, how do you do this? And I think it's a little bit more difficult for men to share their lives in that way, maybe. Yeah. Um, I really don't know how to articulate this, but something like, do we feel like we have to have it all figured out or there Mm. has to be a certain process first before we even start? And so we're so busy trying to figure it out that we never actually do it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Can I, yeah. Can also, I just like probably a, not much of a desire to often. Right. Not a priority over all the other priority. things. Right. I think when people feel exhausted, the last thing that they want to do is like yeah. give that exhaustion to someone else. Yeah. I would uh, submit that mentoring, as we think of it, is yeah. misdirected actually, and I, I would just um, turn to the last. Um, verse of the Old Testament. It says, See, I will send you a prophet, Elijah, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Right. Now that's referring to uh, John the Baptist that's reiterated in, in the Gospel of Luke as well uh, to do the same, and that's what actually John the Baptist's ministry was in, in doing that. And and so uh, the reason I bring that up is because uh, the family is where community happens naturally, or it should. I mean, you know, having meals together and having worship together and things like that in the, in the home. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, we can do things outside the home. I'm not saying it's wrong. Right. But um, if it doesn't start in the home, I think we've, we've missed it. I, I really believe right. that it, um, uh, if we haven't taking care of those family relationships, uh, you know, we kind of have no business in going outside of the family. Well, and, and, and that's a good point because part of it is, you know, you want to make sure that the mentor's actually probably been a good dad. <laughs> like, I don't know if I want anybody being mentored by some somebody that's family is falling apart. Care of their family. Um, but even we'll add to that, that. Even so, I, I just want to make the point that even if a, a young person has a dysfunctional family and a father who's a, you know, who's out to lunch and everything like that, they they have to learn that respect and love positionally once again um, towards that father before they can really begin to have a good relationship, even affects their relationship with God, mm-hmm. and uh, and certainly with you know others as well. And so I think it goes back. The family. We have to have those relationships straightened out first. And I agree. I think a lot of my job at Moody was, you know, people coming to college and really wrestling through maybe stuff with their family. And I saw my role as being the person that walked through that with them. And I would always tell them, like, we can, you can talk about this and you can be frustrated, but at the end, forgiveness and reconciliation is always our goal. Um, because if you can't love your parents and forgive them for being human and for being sinful, like you can't move forward and have healthy families yourselves. And I think that's why this is so important because if my child is angry at me and frustrated with me, I want them to be with a safe person who's going to point them back to forgiving me and reconciling with me. And, um, I think in your twenties, if you don't do that well, then you end up repeating the same stuff that you're so bitter and angry about. Right. And if you have no one to go to to process that with, then you're not going to go to the person that you're so upset with. Upset with, and so it gives them a tool to be able to like be able to come back around full circle. To in the think, or- you're going to say something. I'm going to add real, real quick, and then I'll go to you. The, the, in the think orange curriculum, they say there's five things that every child needs, and one of them is um, the second one. The first one is something about God. 
second one is something about their parents. It's super awesome. But the third one is, um, and the, but the third one is people that are saying the same things that their parents are already saying. Absolutely. Um, and I think like, and I think the reason your point is super important is because if your family is not worked out, that means when you're mentoring someone, you're not going to be encouraging that person to work it out with their family. Exactly. Um, so, Brian, what were we going to say? It's gone. I can just yes. Hey. Um, maybe a lack of desire to actually teach that specific desire specific teach. person. Yeah. Yeah, but lack of connected connection is a big yeah. thing. Or attraction. One, one thing I'd add that we haven't really explicitly addressed, but I think it's something worth putting up there on some part. Yeah. More than any other ministry, and this isn't a bad statement; it's just an observation. More than any other ministry, mentoring does not have an endpoint. Yes. And so. Um, that's a that's a challenge because the more you do, the more you realize it's an investment over a long period of time. And what do you have to show for it? Maybe that, or it just it, re- <laughs> it requires a lot of resources, emotionally, physically, time wise. And it's very clear once you start that that's mm-hmm. there's no clear mm-hmm. ending to that. Well, and I would probably add to that. Like, so I mentored Ben at Moody for a year, yeah. and then you know then- change and whatever and. Like, that was a super fruitful relationship, and, like, I can look at that, and, like, part of it, and, and I look at that, and, like, every every ministry you have to have a scorecard for, and men, and mentoring is a hard thing to have a scorecard for, mm-hmm. but, like, I do know something about that worked in ways that, like, other mentoring relationships I've had since have not, mm-hmm. um, and I was actually just talking with some of our... Uh, junior, our, our leaders in student ministry, and they were saying we like they were saying I'm kind of questioning the effectiveness of mentoring a junior higher one on one. And I said, well, yeah, <laughs> but like, what is what is you know fruit? It depends on what fruitfulness is in that person's life, and um, I think that's huge. I, I mean, and then the other, the last of the time is it? Can you give me a time check. Ten o five. Ten o five. Good. Um, the last thing I would probably add um, to this church is that. A lot of the way that we do church ministry now is age-based programming. So there's a lot more age segregation going on. Um, And I think the biggest win that we had, one of the biggest wins that we had in student ministries this year was when Angie came on the team because now it was more than like, there's more than just like 30-year-olds mentoring. Now we have somebody a little wiser than that. Wiser. And now Maria Reiser's on the team too. And I think that's just really helpful. Um, but on, on that note, I would say the Village Church does an unusually good job of having multiple ages present at a lot of their activities. So if you look at a, the average worship band, you've got like Mark Granzo with like Matt Cameron, you know, so like there's this multi you know, you look at like Awana things and there's like multiple ages on those teams. You look at VBS, like we try to do that. And I think that a lot of mentoring too, and, and somebody mentioned that word, um, Kind of attraction or connectedness. In Anderson and Reese's book, that's their first stage of mentoring is um, attraction or affinity. Like all of the mentors I've had in my life were not were people I thought like almost like guided by the spirit. Was like I just have the sense, and I can't tell you why that that's going to be there. I had that same sense actually about Ben. Like I don't know why I can't put my finger on it, other than I know that like if there were to be more of an intentional relationship there, it would be good. And I think part of the issue in the church is that like. Um, like I would just put like spirit question mark like is 
do we do, do we, are, are we crafting ways that we're open to the spirit or are we often just in control all the time? Um, and, and, and mentoring requires a lot of listening um, and that then connects to the issue of time. The spiritual life needs three things in this order, time, time, and time. Um, it connects to like a comfort level, like are we comfortable with that and what does that mean? Um, and that, I think that age-based stuff is huge. You know, and so then you have kind of, you know, various perspectives on then what do we what do we do with that issue, um, which actually we're going to talk about in May. We're going to do one on the role of the church and the family, or April or May. So um, there's that. So my encouragement is um, whether they know it or not, millennials slash emerging adults need mentors really badly, um, and so those of you in those ministry positions need to know that like that like e- even if they don't know that they need that that's what they need um, and I would say go get so go get them <laughs> yeah oh I was uh, just thinking okay good so let me let me close with this passage um, and then we'll um, pray I think the last learning test I invite you to maybe put a person down that can consider praying about seeking them out to mentor them or maybe some of you like Angie like said I'm not being mentored maybe you need to like see, pray for something to be coming into your life First um, Timothy five one, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, um, in all purity. And Paul's really kind of picturing this in the family relationship that there's. And actually, Jesus says, um, if you come follow me, you will. You have to leave behind father, mother, brother, sister, houses, lands, but you will see a hundredfold of those things in the kingdom. Um, and so it's just interesting that we're given lots of mothers. So let me pray, and then we can all go worship. Father, thank you for um, the mentors in my life, and the mentors those of us who have had them have experienced. Pray, Lord, that uh, the emerging adults in our church, as they go through a lot of disruption and are experiencing delay and are distracted and have the possibility to be distracted by so many things, would be anchored by one thing, and that would that would be you. Um, that you would be there all in all, um, and the center of gravity to um, this very turbulent period of life. I pray that we would emulate you by being mentors and and understanding these differences between generations and these kinds of things would um, come to be better servants of your kingdom. So we love you and ask uh, that you be with us as we go to worship this morning. In Christ's name, amen.